Welcome to this week's edition of Eye of the Swarm, brought to you by our friends at Superior Beverages with our engineer, Elliot Swear, and the Big Sal, Matt Johnson. I'm John Garver. And uh, first things first, Matt, Super Bowl. <laughs> did you watch? I did. Uh, I actually, one of my uh, coworkers from the Key Zone after school program through the YMCA that I uh, work up at Congdon Park Elementary over in Duluth. We went out, we watched the first three quarters, we had a cricket pint, and we had a few, and shared a few laughs and watched most of the game. Then I went home and watched the fourth quarter. Uh, I was really entertained. I was really just going into the game hoping that we would have a repeat of last year. Last year really was boring. I actually fell asleep in the third quarter last year. I was sitting at my house on my couch, and I literally zonked out in the third quarter <laughs> as I watched both teams go three and out, three and out, three and out, and punt, 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 back and forth. Um, I actually, I will fess up, I picked the 49ers 27-24. Um, and I thought that was the score we were going to get. Right, it looked like three it. minutes, yeah, to go. It looked like it. But credit the Chiefs, man, they made a big comeback, and I really thought they were in trouble down by ten going to the fourth. I mean, that's a tough, that's a big mountain to climb in a Super Bowl, but uh, especially against that defense. But give them credit, man, they found a way to get it done. They did, you know. And Pat Mahomes was awesome. Patrick Mahomes was fantastic in the game, and you know, Jimmy Garoppolo made a couple of throws that he probably wanted right. to have back. Yep. Um, there was one sequence in the game where I was a little confused as to what the 49ers were trying to do. Uh, in terms of when they were up 2017, that they decided to throw on two of three downs when what they really do well is smash mouth football, just hand it off to Raheem Mostert and let him just run between the tackles. And they went away from that. So I don't know what Kyle Shanahan was thinking there necessarily. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that doesn't take away from the fact the Chiefs got it done. So congratulations, Kansas City. Yeah, it was it was fun to watch. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was I don't a know really fun about finish. It, but yeah. It was a fun finish. I didn't watch last year at all. Okay, I, I, I shouldn't say at all. I maybe watched an actual. There wasn't much to and watch. A half of gameplay. Okay, there wasn't much to watch. I I'm, spent most of my day building baby furniture. Right. And yeah. And putting a nursery together. You silly person, you. Yeah, I know. What a what a waste of time. And snuck out to eat a piece of pizza right before halftime, and then went back in and continued my building. But this was this was an entertaining one to watch. So. Yeah, this was good. Uh, yeah. You know, it was a real contrast in styles. I think people were looking forward to it. Uh, the person I was out with was more interested in the commercials uh, than anything As else. is my wife when we sit down and watch. She wants to watch commercials. Yeah, and these, I know the halftime show created quite a stir. I didn't think it was that bad. I really didn't. I mean, it, it, I, think, I thought it was too type for those two to perform that way. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they do. Right. And if you didn't want that kind of show for the Super Bowl halftime, you should, probably shouldn't have brought Shakira and Jennifer Lopez into it. Right. Should have found somebody else. Yeah. I mean, they're Latina, you know, performers, and, and Latinas and Latinos, for that matter, have a very flamboyant style of performing. So I'm not, I wasn't as turned off by it, but I know some folks were. Right. But, you know, that's that's the way it goes. It seems like everybody's always got an opinion on, this, on the halftime show. Though. Yeah. I mean, it does, to me, it's it's too long. Yeah. You know, you don't your, your halftime ends yeah. up being about 45 minutes long, and that's the issue I have, is it ends yeah. up being way too long. And, you know, it, if... People complained last year when Adam Levine ripped his shirt off too. So people I find mean, something to nitpick yeah, about it every year, and I, you know, yeah, it's the same thing as critiquing Demi Lovato at the uh, with the national anthem, which right. I thought was actually pretty good. I thought it was a great anthem. Yeah, yeah, she's really good. She's, and she just stuck right to it and yep. just sang the song. And because for a while there, remember we got into that it was kind of performance art. Yep, with the anthem for a while, and now it seems to be back to let's just sing the song. Yep, do it well, do it in the classy manner, and then let's get on to the game. Nobody's ever going to top Whitney Houston. No. No, and during well, the, that during the Gulf War, which there was a certain was context to that one. Charged and yeah, I mean, there was there was a there was a certain context of that one, right? That we haven't seen since, thankfully. Yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I thought it was I thought it was. 
good. I thought the performances were good. And I thought the ads were actually pretty good for the most part, too. Yep. There were a few that were like, hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure where they're going with this. But, uh, yeah, I w- overall, I was entertained. I didn't watch the five hours of pregame because I never nope. do. Uh, that's superfluous p- programming in my book. Right. And you and I being in the broadcast profession, we we see that kind of stuff and go, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's too much. Five hours of pregame. That's too much. It, it's it's kind of interesting to look at how that has evolved. I think it'd be kind of an interesting, for me anyway, it'd be kind of an interesting research project. Go back to the beginning and see how the game, the coverage has evolved over the right. 54 years. Right. Well, just the prices of everything. I mean, I forget what the initial ad slot was. Well, they, they did a, there was a graphic on this year about ticket prices. Okay. Like the average ticket price for Super Bowl one was like 12 bucks. Yeah. You know, and now the average price is 2,500. Yeah. You exactly. know, so it's like, how can, how can Joe Sixpack, the regular guy, be able to afford to go see a Super Bowl? Nobody. You can't. It's all corporate. Uh, you know, the teams get a certain amount of tickets, but the season ticket holders get first crack. Right. And they're usually the ones with money anyway because season tickets cost a lot. So for any franchise. Right. So, yeah, you've got a very rich clientele that's going into that place. Yeah. Um, and going to those games, which is a bummer. Yep. Um, and, I mean, we could get off on a whole another conversation about the lack of attendance at sporting events as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, because um, that's, that's a whole different conversation. But, it's but if that factors at in. At every here. level, you're yeah. seeing it now. Exactly. In every sport. You're pricing out so many people. Yep. Not when they can see it. When they can go home and watch it on their computer or on their TV, you know, in their own. I can sit in my living room and watch a game on an HD television. Right. And yep. have a better view of everything, get replay angles. There's no lines to get food at my refrigerator. There's no lines to get into my bathroom. The food I have in my refrigerator is cheaper than anything I'm going to pay for at a game. I mean, you don't want to pay and, and I'm a season ticket holder. Yeah. You know, I've had right, Viking yeah. season tickets for over 20 years. Right. So this is a season ticket holder saying, I do enjoy going to the game and being a part of that, but right, there yeah. is that part of me that has a preference of being at home. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to pay 7 bucks for a slice of pizza. Right. You know, that just isn't. When I can pay $7 for an entire pizza. Right, yeah, exactly, <laughs> at my house. You know, so, yeah, there's, there's an economic thing. And I, those of us who have been involved in this, we've talked about this for a long time. You and I have. Eventually, it's going to come to a breaking point. Yeah, I think it's getting there. Yeah, where you're going to have to just say, look, we're, we've lost more people than we brought in. Yep, I think it's, gonna, it's getting there. It's it's. I don't think it's going to be long. No, I don't think they're so gonna, You're starting to see it where teams are leaving their ticket prices stagnant because they're losing too many people. Right. Yep. You know, waiting lists for season tickets and things like that are going away now. Right. Because well, and then some, some these schools, people can't afford it. Especially D1 schools and are coming up with this new idea, which is now you get season tickets, you have to have a, what they call a mandatory donation. Which is like a on top of a, it's it's like what the NFL does with their licensing the fees seat license. seats. Yeah. yeah, it's the same idea, but they do it. It goes to the general athletic you know budget basically right. for these D one schools. I know the U has done it. I don't know if Wisconsin does it or not. I have no idea. But it's they're they're finding they're trying to find new ways to kind of trick people into giving more money, and that wears thin. Right. Because when the Vikings did it, it created a stir. When the when the U tried to do it for football, especially, it created a stir. Right. And so now you know you've got this point where people are going, you know. And you keep telling us it's a business. Well, people have to make a business decision then. Right. It's not cost effective. Right. For two and a half, three hours on a Sunday for me to be putting in five hundred dollars. Yep. That's a that's a really expensive three hours. It is. <laughs> or it four is. hours of my day. Yeah. yeah. T- talking about a business decision. This is this just popped into my head. Talking Super Bowl and the business. It. I, I was, heard a thing on the radio. Might have been last week, the week before, where they were talking about Super Bowl one. Right. And it was the one Super Bowl where there's no tape of the game. Right, yeah. 
Their photos. Yeah, every other one they have a tape for, there's no tape of the game. Super Bowl one was on two networks because you had the NFL and the AFL. Right. One was NBC, one was CBS. Oh, so they both, had so the they both broadcast the game, and people thought so little of it that they covered it up with soap operas, basically. Right. Then this guy shows up who, on his father's deathbed, told him about these tapes that he had. Oh, wow. Make sure nothing happens to the tapes. So the kid gets a hold of these tapes, and he's got Super Bowl One. Wow. Which in my mind, I'm going, how in the world did he do it? I mean, did he right. set up like an 8 millimeter and record his TV? Or how did he get this? So anyway, he goes to the NFL with this, and, and business decision. They said, we'll give you 30 grand for it. Are you kidding me, NFL? Yeah, yeah really. Are you kidding me? Yeah. This is Super Bowl One, the only yeah. existing copy, and you're going to tell this guy I'll give you 30 grand for it. Oh, and by the way, you're going to get sued for $12 million if you sell it to anybody else or put it on YouTube because it's property of the National Football League. Right, yeah. You know, that's I, yeah, why they read that little disclaimer every game. <laughs> this is why I laugh at some of these fines that are levied, and they, you know, they, they say things like, this is a really you know, extensive and, and harsh fine. It isn't a harsh no. fine. No. It isn't. No. You know, I mean, like, that's why I kind of chuckled a little bit when they even, going back to the conversation we had a couple of podcasts ago about the Astros. Yep. Oh, this is a harsh fine as far as the money goes. No, not, not really. It's not. Trust me, it's not. Not with the amount of money that we're talking about, you know, that it changes hands. And every owner would take that fine. <coughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. There's that. That's the part that gets me. Yep. It was like, uh, I, I thought this a couple of years ago, too, when Oregon got busted for cheating in football, when they got busted for their illegal or their um, breaking of NCAA rules when it came to recruiting their football players. Mm-hmm. And they docked them three scholarships in three years, and the NCAA then held a press conference trying to say this was a really harsh penalty. It's like, no, it isn't. One scholarship. Yeah, one scholarship per, per year, year for four years. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, exactly. So they went from 85 to 81 in four years. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's well, we can barely you. put a team on the field now. Boy. Like you know, it's didn't they win the Rose Bowl? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I just these kind of things, and then the NCAA got so much flack for that that they stopped doing that. Right. But you know, that's kind of the same thing. Thirty grand is an insult. Yeah, that's an insult. That kid should be making, or that person should be making. Honestly, that it, that's priceless. Yeah, it is. You have the only. Copy he should be able of Super to. Bowl I mean, one. you should be able within to name reason. His price. He should be able to get about ten million out of that. Yeah. I would say I that's would that would be a round price that I would say. Yep. You know, I should get ten million dollars out of this. Yep. If you want this footage, and I know you do, <laughs> you should be giving me ten million dollars for it. <laughs> you know. And if they cry poverty, then you just laugh at them, right? Because we all know how the NFL operates. And I guess I'll just and... keep it. It's just <laughs> right. Gonna, yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's just going to be. It's going to be worth I've, more. I've been sitting on it for how long? Yeah, the longer I have it, the more it's going to be worth. Yeah. Exactly. The time is in. My, you know, this the price on this is going to go up. It's not right. going to go down. So. Anyway. Yeah. Let's talk Yellow Jacket sports for a couple minutes. Here. Okay. Since we uh, covered all that, all those bases. Uh, it's a pretty good week. Not bad. Not bad. Not except bad. for one team, which yeah. yeah, we'll get to them in a minute. Yeah. But yeah. That was I. I'm curious to hear your 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 reaction to all of what happened over the, the two days. I was of course there. I saw it in person, day one. Mm-hmm. I didn't see day two. I tuned in at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> I tuned in with about 20 seconds left. Yeah, about 15 seconds actually left in the third period of game two, which was when all the mayhem had it, already it, taken it was place. Over by yeah, that the, point, so. all the gory details had already taken place. Yeah, but anyway, we'll get into this. Uh, men's basketball uh, had a good week, to say the least. Thirteen and seven now overall, ten and one in the UMAC. They're tied for first place with Bethany Lutheran and Northwestern. Those three right in the logjam at the top of the conference. They're on a three-game winning streak. 
defeated Northland College last week on Wednesday, 89-49. Game that I did on uh, 91.3. And another tough game that they played last week after that 40-point win over Northland at Minnesota Morris. That's a nice win. That is a nice win. That's a tough place to play. Long road trip, not an easy place to play. That's a good win. It's a big gym. Uh, It's rather, actually, it's almost like a a cavern in there. Mm -hmm. It's so big. Um, and Morris is usually pretty good at home, but uh, Jackets came back from behind to beat the Cougars 64-59, so they get the season sweep of both of those games. Uh, in that Northland game, really impressive. Jackets uh, jumped up on them right away, led 43-27 at the break. I scored the Lumberjacks 46-22 in the second half, uh, led uh, basically uh, by 30 or more for most of the second half of that game, really jumped out on them. Uh, it was jackets. kind of a yawner. Yeah, it was, it was, was. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those games where Jackets are just bigger and stronger physically, and you yep. could tell. Uh, the Jackets made 51.7% of their shots, where Northland made just 32.7%. So it was a good performance, both ends of the floor. Eli Vogel, the freshman, continuing to blaze right along, 20 points. He was 8 for 12, 4 for 7 from beyond the arc. Vib Malinkovic, 20 points. He only took six shots, but he was 10 for 11 from the line. So he got to the line a lot, made a lot of free throws. And Mason Ackley, 12 points, 8 rebounds, 4 for 6 shooting. In that contest, Jackets, of course, then took their act on the road to take on the Cougars in that five-point win. Jackets rallied from a 28-26 halftime deficit to outscore Morris 38-31 in the second half. UWS didn't shoot the ball well, 39.7%, but they found a way to get the job done while Morris shot 40%. Vid Malinkovic, big game for Vid before he fouled out in the last minute. 24 points, 13 rebounds, 9 for 17 shooting. He was 5 for 6 from the line. Eli Vogel, 12 points, made a couple of big threes late. That Mac Rechtal in that game picked up the biggest three points of the game for the Jackets. It was a two-point game in the last minute. He made a three to make it a five-point game, and that was basically it the rest of the way. Yep. Mac uh, only took eight shots, scored 11 points, and was two for five from beyond the arc. And with that performance, by the way, by Vid Malinkovic, he was named UMAC Player of the Week for the third time this season. So congratulations to him. 59 points away from 1,000 for his career. Yeah, we'll keep, uh, we're starting the 1,000-point uh, view or uh, countdown on Vid now. And that's remarkable to me just because his freshman year he scored three. Yeah, I mean, he barely saw the court. That he first scored year. three points. He only played six games his well, freshman and, year. And you so you, and you factor in the injuries, yeah, the injuries and missing and two the, seasons to injury. It's really impressive. And he he's come up to me and said he wants to be a guest on here. So maybe we should try to I'll try to flag him down and see if he wants to come up next week. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had a few actually athletes come up to yeah. us now recently. So <laughs> apparently we're drawing straws now to see who's going to be first. I guess. All right, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Women's basketball was very busy last week. They played three games. Uh, went two and one, so not bad. Uh, defeated Northland one hundred one to sixty on Wednesday, before uh, Downing Morris seventy to sixty three on Saturday at Jim Grimmel's Court in Morrisman. So that's another good win for them because Morris is really tough on their home court. Mm-hmm. And it felt like I watched that game. I felt like the Jackets were pretty much dictating tempo throughout that game. It was really well played. I thought. I thought they were very poised and did a nice job of uh, of taking care of business on the road. Got up by double figures in the first half and then basically kind of cruised. I mean, they led by double figures through most of the second half. Morris scored a bunch of points in the last minute to make it look closer than it was, but it was basically a double-digit win. Um, and then in their final non-conference game, a game that was rescheduled from November 30th of last year against UW-Eau Claire, 78-53, the Yellow Jackets fall to the Blue Golds. That game was played on Monday at Zorn Arena in Eau Claire. And the game's, uh, the week's first game, excuse me, against Northland, and that's 41-point win. The Jackets led 28-13 to after one, 52-29 to at halftime, and 75-50 to after three. I think that was the most points they had scored since when? I, you went back and looked it up, I think, didn't you? Oh, the, uh, I, I want to say, I forgot what I had, what I had found, but I want to say it was like 2013 or 14. Okay. 
when they had a 100-point game. I believe it was also against Northland. They yeah. were uh, four points away from the school record. Yeah, they were school 105 is the school record. So, yeah, four points away. I, talk, I talked to Coach Zach Otto-Fisher. He's like, God, nice, wow. I didn't realize we were that close. Yep. Yeah, so – Jackets, like I said, uh, shot the ball really well that night. 56.8% they made on their shots, while the Lumberjills made just 33.3%. Jackets had four players scoring double figures. And a bunch of players played in that game. Everybody played. Everybody played. played. 18 players, I think, saw the court, yep. and something like 11 of them scored, I yep. would say. Anyway, Eva Reinerson had another double-double, 19 points, 11 rebounds. She was 9 for 17. Emily Carpenter, 17 points, 7 out of 11 from the floor. Kaylin Christian, the freshman. 16 points. She was 6 for 10 from the field and 3 for 3 from beyond the arc. And Mercer Ruiz had 11 points on 4 for 12 shooting in that contest. Then at Morris on Saturday, the Yellow Jackets, like I said, jumped up early. They led 24 to 16 after 1, expanded it to 41-29 at halftime, and led it by 12 again after 3, so 56 to 44. So they led by double digits through most of that game. UWS shot 40.7% for the game, and they held the Cougars to just 29.9% accuracy. Wow. For the contest, Eva Reinerson had a huge game. 26 points, 11 rebounds. 10 for 19 shooting for Eva. Emily Carpenter, 15 points. She was 3 for 11 from the field, but made all six of her free throws. That's a good way to bump up your offensive production. Mm -hmm. And Mercer Ruiz, 14 points, 5 for 10 from the field. She was 4 for 7 from beyond the arc. So the Jackets made some long-distance shots in that ballgame as well. Eva, by the way, was named UMAC Player of the Week for the second time this season, the fifth time in her career based on those performances. So congratulations to Eva. She just kind of buzzes right along. Yep. And then the game against uh, Eau Claire, like I said, rescheduled due to our buddy Winterstorm Zeke. Zeke. Yeah, Zeke p- cropping up the jackets. Trailed that one only 23-21 after two, but then the Blue Goals 22-6 in the second to lead it 45-27 to at the break and 58-35 to after three. The jackets struggled from the field in that one. Well, they have 12 points in the second, third quarter. Something combined. like that, yeah. It was, it was not a good not offensive a good performance. Night. Jackets made just 34.6% of their shots, while the Blue Goals made 52.6%. Eva had another game of double-figure scoring. No surprise there. 18 points, 5 for 10 shooting, 7 for 7 from the stripe. Ellie Leedstrom had a nice game, 12 points, 5 for 9 from the field, and Emily Carpenter, 11 points. She was 4 for 12. Not a great overall shooting percentage, but she was 3 for 7 from beyond the arc, which is kind of like her role anyway. So Those are the three games they played last week. Men's and women's indoor track and field. Both teams competed at the two-day Warren Ballas Invitational hosted by UW Stout and Menominee on Friday and Saturday. C.J. Pellath won another weight throw competition. Cut and paste. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's, that's why I say another one. Won another <laughs> way throw competition. This time with a toss of 18.07 meters, while Eddie Carlson took third in the mile run with a personal best time of 430.78. He's had a nice little run. Mm-hmm. Eddie is. He's uh, Literally. Yeah. He's running really well. <laughs> he's running very, very well. And the women's side, Leanne Torgerson placed eighth in the 200 meters with a time of 27.21 to lead the Yellow Jackets. Up next for them, they'll be on the road across the bridge again. So we'll talk more about that in the last... Uh, Segment of the podcast here. Men's and women's tennis. Actually, the women's, women's tennis. tennis. Yep, got in uh, their first meet. Women uh, opened up the season with an 8-1 to loss to UMD on Saturday at Lydia Thuring Fieldhouse. That sounds bad, but it's actually pretty good. Right, it, yeah. it's, it's historic, <laughs> yeah. really, because the, the first couple of years they, they lost 9-0. So yeah. this is the first time they actually got a win in there. And I think UMD had beaten Scholastica 9 nothing in their first yeah. match. So. Yeah. Jackets picked up a singles victory at the number two slot. Allison Tallis defeated UMD's Elsa Erickson 6-3, 6-3. So congratulations to her. Very nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a step up for them, definitely. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to Coach C.J. Schaffner. Schaffner, I should say, on a 8-1 uh, loss. <laughs> it doesn't sound like... <laughs> it, it sounds really bad when you say it that way, but it, yeah, it, it, but it, it was, was good. It was yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. Women's hockey, meanwhile, was busy last week. They went 3-0 and on the week, have won four straight now. They defeated Finlandia. 
in sweep fashion on Friday and Saturday in a, like I said, sweep of the non-conference series. 6-1 to one and 9-1 to one on Friday and Saturday before downing St. Scholastica last night as we record this. 3-1 to one in the latest renewal of the bridge battle at Westman Arena against Finlandia. It was a lot of goals. Or there two. was absolutely no drama in yeah, those two games. Yeah, there was not. First night, Kaylee Martinson and Jenna Curtis each scored twice. Cassie McClure and Ashley Schintz also scored for UWS, while Maddie Gamst made seven saves. She stopped seven out of eight shots that she saw. First and collegiate win. First collegiate win. And she's from, uh, she's local. She's Moose Lake. A, yeah, Moose Lake. So congratulations to Maddie Gamst on the victory. Then on the second game of the series, 9-1. to one. Jackets uh, scoring three more times. UWS scored four times in the first, three times in the second, and twice in the third. So they just kept rolling up the goals. Kaylee Martinson and Amber Heidenreich scored twice. Kaylee Wood, Agnesa Absit, who, that's one of my favorite names, by the way. Yeah, and you butchered it. And I butchered it? What is it? Anessi Absidy. Absidy. Okay. Anessi Abbas Absidy. I'm yes. not I'm not up, up on my Latvian very well. Yes, you're not. So I'm a, uh, Good try though. Yeah. It's Hannah Magnuson, Molly Shelton, and Jenna Curtis also scored. Yeah, that's I'm not up on my Latvian, sorry. <laughs> Catherine Johnson, ten saves. And that one and then against Saints Kalaska just last night, you know, Jackets scored all three of their goals in the second period. Kaylee Wood opened it from Lauren Niska at six forty two. Then it was Amber Heidenreich scoring. She had a nice couple games here. Mm-hmm. From Molly Shelton and Amanda Sargent at 9.47 in the second period on a shorty. And then Kaylee Martinson, congratulations to her. We'll talk about that in a second here. From Molly Shelton and Amber Heidenreich at 18.17 to close out the scoring for the Jackets. And with that goal, it was the 58th of Martinson's career that moves her into second place on the all-time list all by herself. The all-time leader is Erin Kegley. She has 90 career goals. She's not going to catch her. No. <laughs> I don't think so. That's... Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's a lot of goals when you think about it. Yeah, it goals is. Goals that Aaron Kegley had. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of goals. <laughs> you know, 90 goals I in mean, four years. She's averaging 22 and a half goals a year yeah. in her career, you know, playing 27, 28 games. Yeah. And she was so, a really good softball player, too. She was an All-American in softball as well. She's four-time All-American hockey and once in softball. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just a little bit of athleticism. Yes, just a, just a tad. Anyway, but congratulations to Kaylee Martinson. And, uh, She's fourth up. all-time in points now, too. Is she fourth all-time in points? Yep. Okay. So congratulations to her. And then men's hockey. Here are the gory details of the week. <laughs> uh, Slow lost, start. Yeah, they've lost uh, four in a row. Uh, all of them of the frustrating variety. I guess you could say uh, heartbreaking variety in some ways. Mm-hmm. At least these last two. Swept by UW Stevens Point last week. Home and home. Thursday and Saturday. Yellow Jackets played a wild game with the Pointers at Westman Arena on Thursday. Final score 6-5 to five in overtime before losing to the Pointers again 3-2 to two in another heartbreaking fashion at KB Willard Arena and Stevens Point. In that Thursday game, Yellow Jackets scored all five of their goals in the second period. That was odd. <laughs> that was a lot of offense in that period. There were eight goals total in that period. Yeah, because uh, yeah, Point had three. Mm-hmm. So Because it was 2 nothing after one, right? Yep. Yeah. Yellow Jackets trailed 5-2 to two late in the second period before scoring three times in the span of a minute 23 seconds. Even up matters five to five hitting the third period. We scored, or we didn't have a goal in that third period. And then early in the uh, overtime, Stephen Point's Zach Zek scored the game winner unassisted on the power play, just 32 seconds in to give the win to UW Stevens Point. And we'll run through the scoring here for the Jackets. Liam Blaze opened it for the Yellow Jackets from Colton Bates and Troy York at 2:27 of the second period. Then it was Chad Lopez from Dylan Johnson and Alec McKenzie at 9:48 of that second period. Then here comes the fireworks. Colton Bates at 18:36 from Troy York. That made it 5-2-3 at the time. Dylan Johnson from Arter Turchiev and Lopez at 18.57. So a whole 21 seconds later. And then the tying goal, Troy York at 19.59 on here from Colton Bates and Liam Blaze to tie it up at 5. And Miles Hector 
Started for the Yellow Jackets, played the first 27 minutes and 30 seconds, made 10 saves before he was replaced by Nick Althaus, who played the last 33.05 and made 12 saves. I know that you had that game on the radio. That was a wild one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen a game quite like that in a while. Um... There were a lot of things that happened in that game that were strange. Yeah. There were weird bounces. There, there were... was really weird bounces. Yeah. I really mean... weird bounces. I mean, their first goal, a clearing attempt, hits a shin pad and goes in. You know, their uh, their third goal hits a skate and goes in. Our third goal, their defenseman falls down and as he's falling basically gives us the puck. You oh, know? Wow, yeah. I mean, it yeah. was it was there was a lot of weird things that happened in right. in that game. I mean, right up into the game winner. I mean, Zach Zek was standing in the corner yeah. and scores five hole from below the goal line. How? Yeah. You know. So yeah. there was there was a lot of weird things that happened there. Um the the end of the second period was a lot of fun. You know, getting those goals wild. in quick succession like that. It was back to Hive Night, so there were a lot of people there and you know, they they dominated the third period. Yep. Uh, I felt like if the third period was two minutes longer, we'd probably win it in regulation. Uh, but we put our they put themselves in that position by having a really lousy start, yeah. playing poorly in the first period and for half of the second period. And then you take a penalty 15 seconds into the overtime period when you're already at four on four and give them four on three. Right. You know, yeah. so it's... It was a wild end of the game. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of penalties in there that the Jackets took that they didn't need to. Right. That really cost them in that game. Um same thing in uh, game same two. Thing Saturday. Yep, same thing in game two. Unfortunately, this time was at uh, UW-Stevens point three two. the final score. A little less offense, but uh, no less drama, nope. put it that way. Uh, Jackets scored their goals in the first and third periods of that contest. UWS led 2-1 to one with just over a minute left in regulation for the pointers, thanks to a couple penalties. No, just one. Just the one. Yeah, the major penalty. But uh, a, long, a long major scored twice in the final one eleven. To hand the Yellow Jackets the 3-2 loss. Arthur Turchiev scored the Yellow Jackets' first goal in the power play from Troy York and Lawson McDonald at 13-10 of the opening period. And then it was Dylan Johnson from Austin Friesen at 8-22 of the third period. That made it 2-1. UW-Stevens points Zach Zek scored at 18-49. There's that Zek character again to make it 2-2 before Carter Rue, another thorn in everyone's side. I feel like that guy's never going to graduate. I feel like he's been there forever. He's only a junior. Yeah, that's the sad part. It feels like he's been there forever and he's only a junior. So we're going to have to deal with him another year. Mm-hmm. Scored the game winner in 1944 of the third period. Nick Altos had 38 saves. And, John, I'm going to let you take us through the sequence of events. Um, <laughs> we, we talked about it, but I'm going to let you do it because you called the game. <laughs> um, I, unfortunately, for me, I, I saw the first two periods because I actually I was doing chores around the house. I had a rare weekend off from broadcasting. So I watched both the men's and women's basketball games, and then I went into the, the hockey game. And I thought we played well through the first two periods. Mm-hmm. And then something, I forget what it was, but I had to leave my, I had to run an errand. And I came back and I flipped it back on just as I did. There were 15 seconds left and Carl Rude already scored the game winner by then. So I had no idea what had happened. Mm-hmm. So for my benefit and for everyone who didn't see, uh, see or hear it, why don't you take us through what happened in those last 10 minutes or so? You know, I mean, the, 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 the skinny, I'll give the Reader's Digest condensed version of it. Okay. You know, there's four and a half minutes left. It's a one goal game. Superior's up two to one. Um, it had been a clean game, okay, for the most part. And the the way the play unfolded is the puck kind of popped up in the air right in front of the superior bench, and Miles Hector's on the bench, the backup goaltender, and he was catching the puck from my angle. I couldn't tell if it was going to come down in the bench or if he was reaching over the boards, okay, and the puck was still going to be in play. Stevens Point player comes in and 
tries to make a play on that puck. Johnny Pace comes behind him and shoves him. Okay. Player goes down in a heap, and let's have a discussion about is this a two-minute minor, is it a five-minute major? Is it a penalty? Absolutely. Absolutely was a penalty. Is it a major at that point in the hockey game? No. Yeah. In severity, no. Okay. And they still decided we're going to call a major and with four and a half to go put this team on the power play for the remainder of the game. Wow. And if it right. goes in overtime, it, it into the over. first 27 seconds of overtime. And that's where the the frustration really came from for everybody, me yeah. included. Yeah. You know, and so I mean, the well, first, were, the first three of... minutes of that kill, guys are blocking shots. We're getting the puck down the ice. And you're thinking, okay, we're, we're – we're okay. We're going to survive this. Right. You know, then we have one misclearing attempt, and it ends up in the back of the net with a minute 11 to go. Then it's they come, they call a timeout because they smell blood in the water at that point. They know they're still on the power play, and they, they come in, and it goes off of Connor Hamannick skating in the net. Yeah. You know, and when you're when you're struggling, that's the kind of stuff that goes against you. Yeah. I actually talked to the guys, and they agreed with you across the board. It was a penalty. Um the guys I talked to at the uh, women's hockey game against Alaska, because um, I, I talked to Connor Hamannick, I talked to Charles Martin, and I talked to Colton Bates, and all three of them said, yes, it was a penalty. It should have been called, but it was not a major. Right. So they f- felt exactly the same way you did about it. Um, and then the rest of the stuff, because we had a couple of game DQs because guys were frustrated and yep. so on and so forth. Um, and that's unfortunate because they can't play yeah, Thursday's That game just kind of compounds it, mm-hmm. you know, and then just the manner in which you, you drop a game in overtime on Thursday. Yep. And then you go on the road, you're up again late, it's 2-1, to one, and you give up the tying goal, which you say, okay, it comes on a very questionable major penalty. Yep. And then they score the game winner, which is a real gut punch. Yep. With 15 seconds left in regulation, 15 or 16, depending on what time. 15.8. 15.8, so just under 16 seconds. That's a gut punch. Yep. Makes for a very long five-hour trip home. Yeah, one of the quietest bus rides I've ever been on. Yeah. Um, there was... Very little talking. There was no movies. There was nothing. It was a very quiet bus trip. Yeah, and I'm assuming that Rich was kind of beside himself. I haven't talked to him since uh, the. Yeah, he wasn't real happy. I can imagine he wasn't. Happy. I didn't got a chance to talk to him last night either. You know, uh, but so you gotta turn the page, and move on. Yeah, I mean that's, the games don't get any smaller. In fact, they yeah. get, they're even bigger now. So I mean, the guys, uh, you know, they they seemed pretty light and happy when I saw them last night. I mean, the whole team was there to, of course, watch the women's team play mm-hmm. against St. Glasgow, and I felt like, I mean, just the atmosphere that I observed. Right. Some of the guys had gotten over for the most part, but yep. that's the kind of thing, though, when you look back, you think about it a little bit more. Yeah. You know, and uh, hopefully they can come up because uh, they've got a couple of big games this week as well, which we'll talk about huge, in the final segment. Huge so. games. Well, like I said, I, 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 the karma just turned on them a little bit, and hopefully they can get their mojo back. Yep. That's the way I'm going to put it. So. We'll find out. All right. So, so that was the week that that's was. That's the week that was. We'll take a break, and we will come back. We're going to be joined by Yellow Jacket Director of Athletics, Nick Bursick. You are listening to Eye of the Storm. Workers Island Inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm and we are 
joined by the director of athletics at UW-Superior, Nick Bursick. And I think only fitting that the day after the president delivers the State of the Union, we get the leader of our department in here to kind of, I guess, in some ways give us a state of Yellow Jacket Union, that's not a, the building, but the department. That's a pretty powerful comparison. <laughs> that, that's, I, did, uh, yeah. I didn't know I was given a State of the Union. I just set the bar high. There you go. <laughs> I guess this is a State of the Union week. I, I don't know. I mean, it's State of the overall union and State of the uh, Yellow Jacket Athletics. Well, what is the condensed State of the Union then? Uh, for this year, you, you know, man, I've been really impressed. I think all of our sports have been off to a great start. Uh, from what some of the fall sports were able to accomplish and then transitioning that right into winter. I mean, we're starting to see us uptick at a new level, which is really exciting. Talk to me a little bit about, so we'll, we'll, we'll go backward a little bit here, um, how you came into this, how you decided that the administrative side of sports is what you're going to do because nobody when they're a little kid says I want to be a college athletic director when I grow up it's you know you want to be a fireman or a doctor or a teacher or something how in the world did you make that decision to swing into the administrative side of sport yeah that's a good question you know for me you guys know I'm a big baseball fan right I grew up watching the twins loved it came to Superior to play baseball uh, play for our, our, one of our old coaches, Eddie Morgan. Uh, and in that process, when I came to play for Eddie, he and I often talked about if I ever would be interested in a coaching position. And when I was a student athlete, I always said, no, I, I don't see myself coaching. I, I like the business side. Um, and he and I started talking quite a bit about the business side of sports and if I ever would see myself in those capacities. I said, yeah, you know, that would be a dream job one day to work for the Twins and work front office. Like, I don't have to be down in a batting cage with a player. I could be upstairs working and helping facilitate the success. Um, so that's where Eddie was the one that really kind of pushed me a little bit to kind of think more about the, the administrative side of sports. But, yeah, I never, you know, as a little kid, you know, whoever thinks about becoming an athletic director, but – uh, I owe Eddie a lot of credit for uh, putting the idea in my brain to maybe think about this, the administrative side of sports. It's been a lot of fun. It really has. Um, but really to get to your point uh, in terms of my journey to the position, uh, as you know, when Steve Nelson retired, the former athletic director, the opportunity came up and uh, it was unexpected a little bit in terms of uh, just my journey to that position because I was still a, a new coach within the department. My transition from being a student to a coach to an AD was very accelerated. You don't see that within the industry at all. Uh, but it's been a it's been a good, exciting now five years. It's it's quick out. It goes by mm-hmm. as as you know. So yeah, that was kind of my journey. It's it, it's not typical. You know, I, I get that question a lot from other ADs or individuals that want to get into athletic administration or, or current student athletes that have a desire to get into college sports. You know, my journey isn't typical, um, but I do look back on my experience as a student having Eddie push me. Uh, you know, I worked for you doing sports info and getting that grasp. Um, you know, I worked all within our institution, whether it be marketing, advising, um, just having the broad landscape of higher education and sports too has been immensely critical in finding that pathway. But yeah, it's it's been a unique journey. 
you your entry into the position to kind of it, it, well not kind of it coincided with superiors entry into the UMAC and so you you didn't deal a lot with the administrative side of the WIAC so it's kind of hard for me to ask you to compare the two but you talked about the success that our teams have, have had and that coincides with the move into the UMAC as well and I, I you know the the alumni on some levels have stood up and said, no, it doesn't count because you're not in the WIAC. Mm-hmm. That's a different beast. But I, I always use the phrase that the the WIAC outgrew UW Superior. And being in the UMAC now in that five years, this was the right move and probably was 15 years too late, correct? Uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, in many ways, a championship is a championship, right? And ultimately, a conference championship, a tournament championship, what that is, is a pathway into the national tournament. And that's where our teams desire to be competitively, to get those opportunities, to get those experiences. So for me, you know, regardless of your conference affiliation, that's ultimately what it's about, is what's your pathway. But the UV to the UMAC was a, a critical move and it's re- allowed us to reposition ourselves a little bit and I agree wholeheartedly with you you know the WIAC is comprised of institutions that no longer look like us financially academically institutionally facilities wise um, just wasn't a good fit for us anymore um, not saying our kids and our coaches and as an institution we couldn't compete there it's just it, it didn't look like us anymore it outgrew us um, and the UMAC has allowed us to reposition ourselves. We're playing against like institutions in terms of all those regards, but we found a way to be successful in it too. Um, I, I think over the past few years, we've really seen the UMAC itself increase in its competitive parity, and that's a good thing for us. Our teams are being pushed, and the UMAC is starting to grow more regionally um, in certain sports and, and in critical sports too, which is a positive sign for just our development, but the conference development moving forward. Is it then going to, moving into that point where, because the the thing that you hear coaches talk about is whoever gets the automatic qualifier in the UMAC, that's the one team that's getting in. So when you talk about the improvement in the conference, because we've become part of it, is that leading down that pathway to eventually the conference is going to get that respect that other conferences have, and you're going to see more than one team get that bid? Yeah, that's our desire. And uh, right now I currently chair the AD council at the UMAC level. Um, and within our council, uh, we've led our strategic plan uh, behind our commissioner, Corey, who's, who's tremendous in his leadership and his vision. Um, but it's really about making some critical steps as a conference to continue to evolve um, and, you know, the conference can only do what a membership allows it. So I do see growth within the entire UMAC membership that we want to take those next steps. You know, I think it is important to recognize, too, within the UMAC itself, its membership is comprised of institutions that have had their own journeys and pathways in terms of where they're at. You know, some of them have transitioned from an NAIA school to an NCAA Division three. That's a unique pathway. Some of them have newly formed and, and are redeveloped developing their curriculum, which changes their enrollment pictures, which changes their student-athletes, changes their athletics. You know, those are critical things, and it, it does take all nine of us within the UMAC to help transcend and, and move the conference forward. But it's something we, as the Council of Athletic Directors, we, we talk about 
every year and we talk about specific sports and having a plan of how can we help each each sport move to a new level um, you know a tangible thing that our student athletes could relate to and our coaches could relate to the UMAC traditionally played in sports like soccer played in a double round robin meaning we were playing every school twice uh, and what that meant at that time was competitively we were playing some institutions that were still growing in terms of their competitive success and while you had some institutions at the top of the conference some schools still developing it didn't lend itself to a pathway to what you're referencing is in terms of a bid for a national tournament if you don't win the aq moving to a single round has allowed for the conference to adopt more of a a regional philosophy in terms of aligning each institution to strategies that best fit them to pursue the pathway forward. Um, and I'm hopeful, I know the AD Council is hopeful too, that in the long term that could open up additional opportunities. You know, the sport of volleyball um, has been very competitive in the UMAC. Northwestern has gone on some tremendous runs. They were a Final Four team. Final Four a team, yeah. Sweet 16s in there too, yeah. Yeah, and you know, they're a good example of a team that is really pushing to the next level. Um, but behind them, too, there are institutions also pushing to the next level, not only us, but, you know, look at Morris's ability over the past few years, and, and there's certainly other schools that are in that boat, too. So um, that for us as the Council of ADs is, is what we're mindful of, of how do we best position ourselves to grow within the conference, but also regionally and nationally. And a lot of those things get to what are the structures we put in place? What do the schedules look like? What are the opportunities for coaches and student athletes to grow in those, that recognition? Well, it's it's been fun to watch, of course. Um, it's worked out for us really well. You talked about men's soccer. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it on this podcast that uh, Coach Mooney schedules ambitiously. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is because he doesn't have the run robin where you play everybody twice. Because mm-hmm. if you did that in our league, you'd end up playing 16 games yep. in the league, and that cuts it down big time. I don't even know if you'd be able to play any non-conference games in soccer. I don't think you can. It's what I think the regular season itself is like 18 games. It's 20. 20, yeah. yeah. He, he'd be, in the sport of soccer, a double really constrains you in terms of what you're able to do. Uh, and what we know, what we look at as a council of ADs and at a conference level is, and it, this gets into the coaches and the coaches' feedback uh, and vision and direction for their individual sports is really critical for us too, but it limits the opportunities for us for growth uh, if, if we're in that type of structure. Uh, there are schools and conferences that play that structure. It works for them in terms of where they're at right now as a conference, but for us, it we, we have to take a different approach to it. Um, and that's just the reality of where we're at. We're a growing conference. Right. Um, I, by no means the narrative that you know the UMAC isn't the WIAC and you can't compare the two, that to me doesn't really resonate right now because the UMAC is still growing uh, and all nine schools are still growing. We're still growing uh, and we're growing our competitive success too. So I think it's what we'll see out of the UMAC, I'm hopeful in the, in the coming years is more regional recognition, which is going to lead to national recognition. But I think you'll see more teams start to go on runs and you know, hopefully that's us included. I think uh, one of the things that people misunderstand about the UMAC and they don't understand it because they don't look at the big picture is how young the league really is. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came in as a sports writer, the UMAC was just being formed, and this was in 2001, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. When Northland was one of the schools making the jump or making the move from NAIA where they had a scholarship money to D3, and they were one of the schools that made the move. I don't. I think Northwestern might have been too. 
Yeah, there was a number yeah, of schools. Yeah, there was a number of schools. Yeah. And so Morrison actually was D2 at one time, and then they dropped down. So these schools are all coming in from different places, like you said. The backgrounds are different for each of these schools. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they were on the way, like I said, they had just dropped down from D2 to D3 then. So you're talking about a league that is, it's not even 20 years old it's yet. It's barely 10. We had yeah. the 10-year celebration yeah. last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's so you're literally, you know, and they were at that point then when the UMAC was starting to, you know, there was at one point a, a overture was made to presentation when they came in, lasted like a year or two. Finlandia was on the boat for a while as well. I mean, there was a lot of movement going around. So I don't think people understand the growth angle here because they don't understand how young the UMAC is in its current form. Mm-hmm. And so um, in a lot of ways, it's really hard for a league to become a national league right away when you're as young as this league is, you know, and that still hasn't stopped certain programs in the league from having good success. You talked about Northwestern's women's volleyball team. You talk about our men's soccer team. Northwestern's men's basketball team has had good success at the national level. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Scholastica usually did pretty well in baseball. So, you know, a few years back, I mean, they've come down a little bit, but, um, you know, it's not, people don't understand that UMAC is not a finished product, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's, it's, it's still a growing league, and that it, as an as a group of as a conference, it's extremely young, especially compared to like the WIAC and the MIAC that have been set for, geez, I don't even a know how long. Yeah. yeah, like I mean those those leagues have had the same membership for, you know, however many years, and so um, like I said, I'm not sure that people understand that angle of it, and I think it's a good point that you make that it's a still growing league. Yeah, it's it's still growing, and you know what we're actually seeing on a national and a regional level. Uh, and more of it will come is, you know, just realignment, reassessment of philosophy and vision, uh, at both at the institutional level but at the conference and national levels, too, about what is the future of college sports uh, in terms of conference affiliation, membership, sports sponsorship. Uh, those conversations are really critical because it all helps facilitate then the success of our teams, the success of our student-athletes, their opportunities, uh, and all of it. So it it's going to be a very interesting next five, ten years in terms of pathways forward for Division Three, but all divisions, uh, but really for uh, our student athletes and, and their opportunities. I, I do, I agree wholeheartedly, though, that we are at least positioned to be an opportunity in growth where other schools might be faced with uh, some limitations or constraints where uh, they're making tough decisions. With Everything that's been in the news lately about St. Thomas, we, t- we spoke about that here yeah. back in the fall. And when you start talking about realignment and everything, is that kind of the first domino to fall with them, and I use air quotes, leaving the MIAC um, and pursuing the Division One route? Is that the first domino kind of to fall here? And maybe are there going to be... And you don't have to speak to it because you're not a member of their conference. You don't want to. But are there other MIAC schools that are going to explore opportunities? Maybe WIAC schools that are lower level, not a Whitewater Oshkosh, mm-hmm. exploring opportunities. Do the Whitewaters in Oshkosh just go off St. Thomas can go to Division One? Why can't we? Or let's look at the Division Two route. Is that the first domino to fall? You think? I, I think it's a gateway <laughs> for conversation for a lot of schools and a lot of conferences. Um, I can't speak to the MIAC or the WIAC or any other institution outside of ourselves, um, but I, I do think it's going to open up a gateway for a conversation to be had about what does 
sports mean at each institution? Uh, where do they best align? Not only Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three scale, but then conference scale, uh, sports sponsorship scale, all of that. So I think it's going to be a really critical five to ten years that come. But obviously, St. Thomas's uh, reclassification is going to be pretty significant. Uh, it's going to set a pathway uh, potentially for others to pursue. Um, it's also opening up at the NCA National Convention that was two weeks ago about. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about what that pathway is, but there's also a lot of talk at the Division Three level of, well, how do we continue to recruit new members too? So we pass legislation that makes that process easier for schools to consider. So maybe an NAI school wants to come Division Three, or maybe a D2 school wants to reclassify Division Three. Uh, Division Three nationally is well aware of what we need to do to best position ourselves moving forward. Uh, at least I feel we've We've adopted some legislation that makes it more attractive for future members to consider. Um, But I think just nationally what we'll see over the next five to ten years is some pretty big conversations being had about realignment, reaffiliation, uh, and what does sports mean at each institution, which uh, gets to a conference level as well, which to me, I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I get back to the UMAC. I think you have nine schools that are all invested and committed to the model that we currently are, and that's only going to help us strengthen as a conference too. Is there kind of an idea of how big it would want to get in terms the, of the UMAC? The UMAC you oh, because you obviously yeah. don't want to get to be like the NSIC where yeah, you have yeah, 30 16. some teams and you're, yeah. you know, all over the upper Midwest. But yeah, there are 16 schools in NSIC. That's yeah, a lot. That's yeah, a yeah. lot. So, I mean, is there kind of a, a ballpark of, you know, right nine right now? We could comfortably be 12. We could comfortably be 15. Or haven't yeah. you gotten that we, far into that? We, we haven't gotten there quite yet. We, we do recognize that membership growth is an avenue, is a critical strategy for us as we move forward as a conference. There's a lot of things on the back end that maybe our student athletes or fans or spectators don't see in terms of the financial structure, the pathway for AQs to the national tournament, the compliance and legislative functions of the conference office, and how more of that is actually enhanced and solidified as membership grows. Um, sometimes being too small of a conference actually really hinders you where you're better off being a little bit bigger. Uh, but there are also then uh, tangible things that really impact our student-athletes and our fans see, our spectators see, our coaches have direct influence over, like our schedule models. You know, 10 teams can even you out in some sports uh, in terms of then you being able to adopt travel partners and, you know, you may be able to offer a little bit better experience for your student athletes where, you know, they're not going to Morris one weekend, then Northland the next day or anything like that. We could structure schedules in a situation where we reduce their barriers and their time commitments so they can focus on their other aspects that are critical for their collegiate experience. Um, I think membership growth is, is really big. One of the things we are also aware of at a conference level is the ability for us to grow membership that will help solidify certain sports. Um, a good example is ice hockey. You know, there are three UMAC institutions right now that sponsor ice hockey. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to get in a conversation about our affiliation with the WIAC or our previous affiliation. Laughlin and McKenna, the, yeah. the radar went up as soon as you <laughs> yeah, said exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I know it. Um, 
But for us, the sport of ice hockey, there are three UMAC schools that do sponsor that sport with us, Glasgow and Northland. Um, and a fourth member, uh, if they were to come to us in the UMAC model, could make it uh, a sport that UMAC could sponsor because current legislation requires four core members for it to be a conference-wide sport. So, you know, those are the things we actively engage with. Ho- ice hockey isn't the only sport. Uh, football is top of mind for a lot of UMAC schools. Lacrosse is growing as well. There are several UMAC schools that sponsor those uh, sports, both on the men and, and women's side. So, I think as a conference, the Council of ADs, and it gets to the Council of Presidents as well, we're well aware of the right schools that we want to target um, because it's not only balancing out the core sports of the UMAC, but how does it help facilitate maybe growth in other sports to help solidify those sport modules at each of our institutions? I could ask a football question there, but I won't. <laughs> well, the, the football question in the UMAC is an interesting one um, because there are associate members in football, and mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't aware of them necessarily. I mean, Greenville is one of them, Westminster out of Missouri is another, um, that play in different leagues for their other sports. So there is that kind of affiliation thing going on with football right now, and I don't know you know, what the long-term view of that is, if that's going to continue to want to be the model right now for the UMAC. I mean, I don't know if that's – where the conference wants to go or wants to stay that way or if it's more of an expansion within the, the, the actual core nine schools that play in most of the sports against each other. I mean, I don't know what you know about that. but I, I know football is top of mind for really every school that currently sponsors it. Okay. Um, what you're not only seeing about classification and reaffiliation and membership and all that, you're also seeing uh, trends from the high school and youth levels that – would be important to continue to monitor in terms of just um, the number of youth that are engaging in the sport and um, some of the prevailing concerns that parents have now about the sport. Obviously, concussions comes top to mind, but there's a lot in terms of the sports medicine behind it. There's a lot of auxiliary expenses with a a program now, not only just your training staff, your doctors, uh, your support staff, but just your insurance, your facility requirements, all of that. The sport itself is becoming more expensive. um, And, you know, I think institutions keep that top of mind in terms of continuing to look at what's best for their football program. Um, I think getting back to the St. Thomas, I think that's, you know, going to continue to be a gateway conversation in terms of the sport of football itself and and other sports as well. But uh, what does that really look like at the Division Three level? And, and what does that future look like for those institutions? But I know it's top of mind for the UMAC members. Uh, and we're doing what we can to, as, as a conference, continue to support those schools that, that sponsor football. But that gets to ice hockey for us. That gets to lacrosse for some schools and, and some other schools that sponsor other sports too. Have there been discussions at the conference level about esports? And they people know where I stand on it, yep. but it's it's something that's coming up more and more within the sports information director discussion groups and everything. More and more schools are adding esports. And has there been the discussion at the conference level about that? Yeah, it's, esports is uh, it's, it's booming. Hot, it's booming, and it's a hot topic right now. Um, two years ago at the NCAA convention, it was a major item that uh, a lot of Presidents talked about uh, a lot of athletic directors talked about um, it. It's booming. It's growing. Um, a number of schools are adopting it uh, as a sports module for them. Um, what 
is attractive from an institutional perspective about an esports program is their enrollment potential. The schools that are adding esports that are really successful in the program also align it very well to academic program offerings. So something in computer science, something in uh, information technology, um, really aligning their majors to the demographic of the students that typically come into esports. And I don't want to stereotype what an esports student studies or anything like that, but oftentimes it's very well linked to a pathway for an academic program as well. Uh, the conference at, at the UMAC level, there are a few schools that currently sponsor esports uh, or have that as, a, as an offering. Um, you know, for us at UW Spirit, it's currently a club sport, and I know there's intramural programming that goes on behind that as well. Um, it, it's a fascinating topic in terms of would we ever consider it uh, as a varsity sport here? Um, uh, Right now, I think we're focused on our our current offerings to help strengthen them and, and grow uh, their competitive success. And as an institution, we always look at opportunities if it's going to assist us advancing in some key areas. But uh, esports is a hot topic amongst the entire country right now, especially higher ed. I think with with the SIDs, it's it's pretty much split down the middle. You've mm-hmm. got the ones that. You know, we're in support of it because it's another opportunity to have a varsity sport on your campus, and there's the other half going. But it's not a it's not a sport. It's video games. It's not a sport. Yeah, and and it's really divided. Yeah, it it is. And what you're actually seeing out of institutions too is actually pretty well divided in terms of how schools are offering it. Some schools are offering it as a cohort or sports module within their athletics department. Other schools align it more to what we currently do. Is it's kind of a student club sport it's it's associated with student affairs or that type of uh, campus life division um, it's interesting you know esports isn't an NCA sanctioned sport I don't anticipate in the short term that it ever transitions to that level I think the president's council uh, at the national level uh, the management council uh, and all the associated governance groups, I think they're pretty set right now. Esports is not going to be something the NCA touches. It does have its own uh, organization and affiliation that kind of monitors and you can be a part of a national body. Um, I, I think that will continue to stay its course uh, in the short term. I think long term, there's always going to be questions. You know, if more schools continue to offer it, well, then I think it has to be considered as an emerging sport, especially if they adopt it within athletics. But it's going to be fascinating to see the pathway forward for esports and and how it transitions over time. In the Division One schools that are using that, you know, their their championships have over ten thousand people at these things. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. They're filling arenas to watch these students play video games yeah just like it's incredible just like institutions are building sports arenas basketball courts ice uh arenas outdoor fields schools are now building esports arenas you know it just looks different but um yeah the the level of influence in our culture and our just our society is what is the big draw to esports right now and uh you know those schools that have added it that have been successful in it really do get a pretty wide engagement from their local communities, but nationally too, with the streaming capabilities behind it and all. And it's fascinating. There's there's something to be said about the cultural movement of esports that 
I truly find uh, intriguing, but it's it's an interesting sports consideration. You use the word culture, and I kind of want to pull this in a little different direction now and, and reel it into our, our hallway across the street. Since you've taken over, it's it, you've made a very deliberate effort to address culture, whether it be within team culture, the department culture itself. It's been something that it, you have kind of spearheaded within the department and put a lot of effort into. Where where did that come from? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I remember it, it really it was rooted in a staff meeting uh, that we had and boy, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe four years ago now, three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, and we really, assessment data is important to us. I always think we, in order to know where you're going, you got to know where you're at, where you've been. Uh, and for us, we do some assessment data to really gauge how our student athletes feel about our athletic department, our, our program offerings, and, and everything in between. Um, and I remember, you know, really we walked away from reviewing some assessment data and say, our student athletes believe there's potential here, but we got to take that step. Right. Um, and we had some very tough conversations at time uh, and, and some honest conversations at time about where we are, what we see the potential, and what is it going to take to get us there. Um, a lot of it was rooted in our culture, just – you know, it, it was a good timing behind it, too. Like, Matt, you talked about the transition in the UMAC. It was just a good time to kind of reassess everything and really talk about what does it mean to be a Yellow Jacket? What are the expectations we have of our student-athletes? What are the standards we want to achieve? What is the vision for the department? Uh, you know, the competitive scale that we want to be on, where do we want to be? You know, are we going to be a school that really just – wants to come together to offer sports as a co-curricular activity, or do we want to be a school that wants to offer a really good experience, be really competitive, be, grow our regional recognition, take those next steps, and give that experience for our student-athletes where they can achieve a high level. Uh, and I think it was pretty, you know, as we went through that process, it was pretty adamant that as a department, we firmly believe we want to be at that high-level scale. of it's, it's about offering a good experience to our student-athletes, a beneficial experience to them, but we want to be competitive. We want to grow our competitiveness. We want to hold ourselves to the highest level. Um, and some of that is really starting to come out a lot. But, it, you know, you hit it right on the nail. It, it was some deliberate conversations that happened several years ago now, and I think we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. But culture is, is always growing, you know. It, it can grow. It can decline. You always have to reassess it and talk about it. Um, and to our credit, we have a group within the athletics department that up and down the hallway, everyone's invested in it. Um, and I think that has tangible things that our student athletes can get behind, too, that really push us to a new level. One of the things that uh, I'm most proud of, and I think this gets lost a lot of times, especially at Division One and Division Two level, was how well the student athletes at our school do outside of the mm-hmm. arena of competition, i.e., being in in, in class. Because I think what's the what's the department wide GPA is over three now, isn't it? Or something oh yeah, like that. it has yeah, been it's like for a three. few years. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I mean yeah. that's I think that speaks to the culture that you're just, you're talking about. It's not just the fact that they want to go between the lines and push themselves there. Outside the lines, they want to do that too. Mm-hmm. They want to go out and they want to get degrees. I mean, I, I think the last graphic I saw was 3.17, something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't know how many, you know, technically how many scholars, you know, all, all conference, all, you know, all academic scholars we have. I know we have a few COSIDA academic All-Americans, which is a, a real testament to the, to the, you know, athletic department as well. 
But I think you are seeing that, though, because the academic progress reports that come out each semester really kind of paint a picture of a group of student athletes and coaches and administrators that want to really excel in their lives beyond just playing sports. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they want to push themselves not just physically, but also intellectually. They want to, they're eager to learn. They want to learn new things. Not just, like I said, about athletics, but about life in general and in their chosen field of study. So I think that goes back, and that says a lot for, like you said, the culture that, that was established, I think, not necessarily just because of the move to the UMAC, but because of the conversations that happened right around that time of making that move over. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but that's sort of how I see it at this point. I, I look at it, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the byproducts of the whole culture discussion that we came up with was the the earn it Mm -hmm. and the athletes have done a very good job of not just leaving that in the athletic arena they are doing a very good job of taking that to the classroom the workplace for those that have jobs you know that their outside lives as opposed to just leaving it on the field in the in the gym in the rink yeah i agree with you and when Earn it is is our department's motto, but for us, when we getting back to our culture conversation that we had internally, uh, it was really rooted in what do we believe our mission is as a department. And for us, it sounds weird to say, but I think collectively within the athletics department, our mission isn't necessarily win championships. And I know when I say that, you know, student athletes look at me like, <gasps> Nick, what are you talking about? We're, we're not here to win a championship. I'm not saying that. But we're here to develop champions. And we're, we're for, you hear coaches talk about it, and I, and I listen to the podcast, and I know coaches talk about you got to focus on the process and not the outcome. If we focus just on winning a championship, we might not get there, right? We can be sports you know, 100% of the time, all day. But I don't think that's what our coaches really thrive in. I don't think that's what our student-athletes thrive in. You know, it's got to be a balance of everything. So for us, we really talked about earn it is our commitment to developing champions. And, Matt, to your point, champions just don't be successful on the field, on the court. They have to be able to translate those skills to their entire life. So for us within athletics, we've talked about our commitment is to develop champions both athletically academically and personally. We want to put our student-athletes in a position to thrive and to reach their full potential. Um, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of their development. We're, we like to say we're a relationship-based department in which you know our coaches really value the ability to build a relationship with their student-athletes on a personal level. Um, but that holistic philosophy, that holistic approach is what makes us unique and what helps define our culture and push us to the next level. What does the next five years look like? Uh, that's a great question. What I hope the next five years really looks like is competitive success. Uh, I really hope not only the programs that are at that level sustain it, but they reach their new level. And then our programs that are growing and developing get to that level as well. I think we can make some tremendous strides over the next five years competitively and push us to that next level. I don't think there's anything stopping us from really being a top regional team and growing our national recognition. We saw it a little bit with uh, hockey rankings and, and all that, you know, our hockey programs. It wasn't a few years ago where both of them were continuing to develop and, and they've put in the work, they've invested in their culture. 
They've invested in player development. Obviously, recruiting is a big part of that too, but you're seeing the growth in their sports, but you're seeing success in soccer. You're seeing, seeing success in basketball. Uh, track and field has gone on a good run. You're seeing a lot of growth in, in a lot of sports. So um, I don't think we're satisfied with where we're at. I think we want to continue to grow competitive success. Uh, academically, uh, graduation-wise, persistence-wise of our student-athletes, I think that will always be a staple for us. We take a lot of pride in that tradition. Uh, I think our student-athletes take a lot of pride in that tradition. I hear from alum, I hear from parents when we're talking to recruits uh, how big and how important that is. You know, we, we walk away from our playing careers. You remember the things that you do athletically, but you're also thankful that you have a degree to rely on that helps you pursue opportunities too. So I think academics is going to continue to be a big focus for us. I do think over the next five years what I'm most hopeful for is we can continue to grow and the ability to support our student-athletes and support our programs. I think for us tangibly that's facilities uh, and helping address those opportunities. We've done some things over the short term to help better position our student-athletes and our programs to go out and be successful with our partnership now with the high school to utilize NBC Sports Complex for soccer, softball, and a little baseball. Uh, But to address those opportunities that we have, facilities are big things about putting your students in a position to be successful. So we know how critical those are in terms of the recruitment, the retention, the training, the development of our kids. So I think that's a critical step. But then we focus on the team that supports the team too, right? There's a lot that goes into college athletics from the finance side, the sports info side, the marketing side, the athletic training side, our team docs. And if we can continue to strengthen those areas too, you know, that success breeds success. And, you know, that those areas help support our student athletes and put our programs in new positions to go out and thrive too. So I think the next five years you're going to see, I'm hopeful to see growth within the entire department and we continue to evolve, we continue to grow, and we continue to transcend to a new level. You brought up facilities and boy, that's a that's a whole podcast in itself. I, I look <laughs> yeah. forward to the day when we get to have you on to talk about the big, shiny new facility that's going to get built here. But for the time being, we're going to let you go because I know you've got uh, a lot on your plate, and we'll have you back to talk about that softball team you're coaching, too. Mm-hmm. We didn't touch once on the whole coaching we piece did. here. Yeah. He's Nick Bursick, Director of Athletics. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. For over 85 years, the dollars deposited at National Bank of Commerce have been reinvested into the community, sparking bold ideas and igniting big dreams. Our customers have helped transform the region. And if we've come this far already, just imagine what's next. National Bank of Commerce, we make more possible. We're back on I Had the Swarm, and uh, kind of a light week for us here, Matt. There's not a lot of not a lot of contests going on, especially with the basketball being on the bye week this week, where they don't have the Wednesday game. Right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a light week. It is kind of a light week. Um, there are some home games though coming up, which is nice. We do have a few at home, yeah. And it is basketball alumni week this week, so uh, on Saturday the basketball alumni, both the men and women, will, will there be, be a Greg Raider sighting? Is there the will question. be? Would be my guess. <laughs> I don't know if he's ever missed one. He hasn't. I don't he's think always he has. Here. Yeah, he's you always know. here. 
But uh, I, I know for a fact that, like, for instance, Haley Cotney will play on the women's side. Uh, she's got a coach later that day. In fact, she was going through it uh, with me last time I saw her. She was saying that she's going to come for the game, play it, and then she's got to go off and coach the at Superior High School. So yep. uh, it's going to be kind of one of those days. Um, but usually you'll see um, a pretty good turnout, especially on the men's side. Uh, I don't know how many there are on the women's side. Uh, I think there's usually about 10 to 12 on the women, and for the men it's usually 15 to 20, yep. something like that. Um, thankfully, both teams have a bit of a footprint locally. There are plenty of alums that stayed local yep. or at least are close enough they can get here So, in the Twin Cities or Milwaukee or wherever they are. Um, so, yeah, it'll be fun. And it's it's always good to see them, both yep. the men and it's women. It's a lot of fun. As, yeah, alumni. I, I love seeing them. Yep. Um, it's a fantastic time. Uh, everybody is 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 having you know it's all smiles and they're rowdy at the games, which makes it <laughs> that much more. Especially the men. Yep. <laughs> the men's alums get really rowdy at the game. So, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a fun week. But like you said, a little bit light as far as the schedule goes. Uh, men's basketball plays just the one game this week. It's a home game, of course, for alumni weekend. They're playing North Central. It's the second time they will have seen the Rams this year. That'll be a 3 p.m. Uh, opening tip. I'll be on with the pregame starting at 2:45. Uh, that, by the way, one of game one, I should say, of a triple header. Another one of those Saturday triple hunters with uh, you and me on the air. So, um, yeah, that'll be the next uh, our our next broadcast actually uh, on ninety one three FM. So check us out uh, in case you're not watching the game online or uh, intending the game yourself. That'll be the next time the men are playing. That's their one game this week. Same story with the women. Um, they'll take they're taking on North Central. Same game day four forty five will be the uh, opening tip of their game. I'll be on with the pregame at four uh, four forty. Or I, no wait, what am I talking about? Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. 4.30, I'll be on with the pregame. Chances are you won't be. The men's game will still be going on at 4.30. Let me see. Was it a 3 o'clock tip for the men. Yeah, right. Those games never start at 4.45. That's right. Uh, well, 15 <laughs> minutes ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over the place. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, it's a scheduled 4.45 tip. I'll be on uh, 15 minutes ahead of time. That's what we'll do. It's usually a pretty quick. I try, I try to go quickly in the men's postgame into the – Women's pregame, just because there's not a lot of time. There's like right. 20 minutes, 20 25 minutes, yep. yeah, in between. So there isn't a lot of time to really break it down. But anyway, that'll be uh, game two of that triple header that day, and then uh, the men's hockey team will be taking on River Falls. That'll be down there, though, I think, isn't it? Yep. And that's a uh, 7 p.m., 6.40, the pregame, or right after I get done with women's basketball. Yep. That's a better way to put it. Whichever comes later. <laughs> yeah, exactly, whichever comes later. So that'll be a triple header. Uh, men's hockey is home, by the way, speaking of the Yellow Jacket men. They're at home on Thursday taking on um, River, River Falls. Falls, and that's a 7 p.m. And 6.40 the pregame. So yep. nothing really changes there in that regard. Those two teams' uh, schedules are pretty well ironed out. Women's hockey will be at home one game this week as well. They'll be on Saturday taking on UW-River Falls at Westman Arena. So it's a Falcon week, uh, 3 p.m., the opening face-off there. They're big games for those two hockey teams too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are big games. Uh, the women you know, are coming off of a win over River Falls last time they played. Yeah, and they seem to pick up their game whenever they're playing um, – you know, a, a, a nationally ranked team. They seem to play their best and these in those are, games. These are two big points for them. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we'll see how that how that shakes out. Yep. Um, and they're playing well right now. I mean, they have uh, 13 wins and counting right now in the yep. year. So. And on the men's side, that they're tied with River Falls in the standings right now. Right. Yeah. They own the tiebreaker because they beat River Falls back in December. But right. the, these two games this weekend are, are massive for playoff positioning. Because right. it's kind of become a two-horse race. And those two teams will will get the buys in the first round, and Northland is out of contention for a playoff spot. Is it still the top five make it? It's the top six. The top six. Top six will make it. So one team won't make it. That's Northland. Okay. And then one and two get their buy. Okay. And three, four, five, six play. Oh, well, there you have it, right? 
goes like that. Yep. Uh, men, men's and women's indoor track and field are uh, across the bridge, taking on uh, all comers at the St. Scholastica Lake Superior Challenge. That's at the Burns Wellness Commons in Duluth. That'll be 11 a.m. on Saturday, so they'll be just across the bridge. Technically, it's a road event, but not really. And you just go across the bridge, and that's it. And then men's and women's tennis are both playing this week. Uh, of course, we talked about the women in yep. the first uh, segment of the podcast, playing their first match against UMD. They're back at it on Saturday. They're on the road down in Winona, Minnesota, taking on St. Mary's, 7 p.m. there. And then the men bright and early the next day. At Sunday at uh, 8 a.m., they'll be taking on the Cardinals and then coming right back home. Get your coffee early. Yeah, that'll be a neat early one. So, yeah, there's a, everybody's in action, but it's, it is a light week in terms of it total is. number of games. Yeah. It, it's just, it seems weird not having those midweek basketball games. Yeah, it just uh, well, but I mean everybody. That's the thing with having uh, nine teams. Yep. Then we talked about with uh, AD Bursick. We just you know I mean with nine teams, somebody gets a week off. Yep. And uh, this has happens to be the Yellow Jackets' week off. Yep. But uh, yeah, after that though, it's a sprint to the finish. And Full steam ahead to the to the finish line for everybody. And uh, yeah, I mean you've got basically all through all four. Uh, I mean, the men of the men's basketball clinched their playoff spot. They did. Yeah, they, they, they clinched last week. The women are going to clinch this week. Yep, they're going to clinch this week. Yep, they'll get their clinch this week. The two hockey teams are in. Yep, you know, so you've there. They know that those four are all playing in the postseason here in a couple weeks. So right, and the men's and women's basketball are playing for home games. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, you know we'll see. uh, And men's hockey is too. Yeah, you know. So you know we've got three teams at least that are fighting for home bids right now. Yep. So it's uh, and track and field's hosting the championships. So <laughs> it's there's a whole lot of home playoff action like in our happens, future. I feel like that happens quite a bit, though. Well, there's only two schools that can host the indoor championships. Yeah, us and Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's every other year us. we get it. Yeah, so we we just alternate with them. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there's not a lot of luster on that when you no, you're kind of like, no. Oh, okay, I was about to say our, it's our like, year. I feel like those conference titles are coming around a lot. Yeah, so this, is like, this is the third time we've hosted the UMAC championships. <laughs> Well, yeah. If you got it, use it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? pretty much. Yeah, so pretty much. So but that's what's coming up, and uh, you know, then the it's like I said, it's a sprint to the finish after that. So we got some stuff coming up, even if it's not this week. So. Yeah, it, it is, and there's, you know, I just I'm, I'm kind of I'm I'm imploring people that get out and watch these teams in person. Yeah, exactly. You I know, too. the iFan Sports Network is great. I appreciate the job that you and I get to do on KUWS. Get out and see these kids play in person. Yeah. Because we've got four pretty good winter sports teams that have home games over the next couple of weeks that yep. are going to be essentially playoff games. Yep. So yep. get out and watch them. Yeah, get, get out, out, get out and out throw your support them. behind them because they're, they're fun to watch. Yeah. And uh, it, it's great because a lot of the athletes on those teams also are noticing the success everybody else is having. Yep. You know, uh, and I go back to this conversation I had with the three hockey guys at the St. Glasgow women's game. You know, I mean, all three, you know, Charles Martin, Connor Hamannick, Colton Bates, they all said, yeah, basketball teams are rolling right along. And we know it and we notice it. And we know we should be there to support them when we get the chance. So if the other teams are noticing, uh, there's no reason why everybody else shouldn't come out to and watch them. I mean, it's a, it's a good bang for your buck. It is. Especially in a day and age where things cost a lot. Things cost a lot. Like the we cons- talked about in the first session. The sessions are cheap. The <laughs> parking is free. So... Right, yeah, you know, exactly. No yeah. reason to get out and, and not watch these get teams. Get that $3, <laughs> that $3 bag of popcorn, which is huge. <laughs> best popcorn in the league. <laughs> I know you were saying that. Matt Cyberlean still says it. It's the best popcorn <laughs> in the league. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're. I know it's a, it's a public service announcement, but we'll, we'll make it. You know, go out and watch the teams play if you get a chance. Absolutely, absolutely. And that'll be a wrap on this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm. He's our engineer, Elliot Sweary. He's the big song, Matt Johnson. I am John Garber. Thanks for listening to Eye on the Swarm.